Oh, you know what that song means, folks. You know what that song means. You know that it's time for another episode of That's What G Said. Thank you for joining me again here on May 22nd. You could tell I went to uh, announce our broadcaster voice for just a moment there as I was getting set up for the show. Got a big one signed on for you today. Ooh. Let's go through the uh, the lineup real quick. We'll do a little intro, a couple quick hits on some things that went ha- uh, went on over the weekend. The On This Day segment, full segment on Preakness, thoughts on the entire Friday-Saturday weekend, anything that caught my eye. We'll go through a lot of your Facebook messages and posts and tweets, and then on to the Belmont, talk some NBA. Warriors, they are on, chilling. Defeated, swept Portland Trailblazers. Now they're hanging out, waiting to see what goes on in the Eastern Conference as that series is tied up 2-2. We'll, we'll break that down. Magic, Magic Johnson, went on first take and just blasted the Lakers the other day. We'll talk a little bit about that. MLB, quick hit around the league. Go through uh, kind of who's hot, who's not. See how some of your teams are trending. And then we close things out with Game of Thrones. So, Spoilers for that last segment, if you didn't watch the final episode of Game of Thrones, if you don't want to hear anything about Game of Thrones, then once we start talking Thrones, just just tune off, then don't worry about it. Before we get into anything, one big favor to ask, like always, if you can get over to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star rating and a review, just a little comment in there, those things help quite a bit. They move us up the charts, they help a lot with sponsors, so big favor, if you can get on over there. Just takes a couple seconds. Just click on the uh, the f- the five star and then leave a little comment there. And when you leave, I read all the comments. So I'm gonna start reading through some of them and so mention the things that you like. Let me know, and I'll continue to uh to you know I'm not always talk about everything, but I'll continue to focus on some of those things in particular, any of the topics that you like hearing about, because that's that's one thing I like. I always want to talk about what everyone out there wants to hear about and the things I like about, but that's why I wanted to have so many different topics on the show. Cause I feel like talk about five, four or five different things, then maybe you'll get people who are interested in, in each one of those things. And even if you only tune in for one or two segments, you know, maybe hang out for another segment sometime, maybe I'll introduce you to a movie or a show or, or maybe, uh, some kind of just tell you about something that you didn't know and, and who knows, but anyways, Always grateful to have you listening. I'm rambling right now. Let's get started. If you didn't know, my big boxer, Roly, good man. He is now 13 years old, and he's a big guy. We uh, just had to take him into the vet, and we found out that he was going to need some surgery. He does have some masses in his lungs, and they are some cancerous masses. So what we decided was, you know what? We talk with the vets, and he's old, he's big, and the surgeries, they aren't even sure if they would, what they would do. They would maybe help, but they're not sure how he would be able to respond. So, you know what, he's still, it's not, um, like, miserable for him right now. He, we've given, they, uh, we've got some medication for him now, uh, if they found out that he had, uh, some thyroid issues, so we're gonna get on some medication there, hopefully that'll, uh, help him lose a little bit of weight and just keep him, keep him nice and comfy, you know, keep him, keep him comfy, keep him happy, because he's still, 
good. He's moving around well. He's still eating very well. He's still got a lot of energy. He just does not like going to the vet. I'll tell you that. As miserable we take him over there, he is not like the those car rides going to any of the doctors. So just keep this big man. Uh, I'm in your uh, in your thoughts and prayers because I know a lot of us out there have our pets that we love, dogs, cats, whatever, uh, our beloved animals. And, you know, we're going to talk horse racing in a little bit. A lot of people that are involved in the horse racing industry also very, uh, very tied to their horses and they're, you know, like they're members of your family. So, uh, keep, uh, keep my big man Rolly in, uh, in your thoughts. Quick hits over the weekend. Brooks Kepka. Current number one in the world golfer. He just won his fourth major. Won the 2017 and 2018 U.S. Open, and now the 2018 and 29 PGA. And he's 29 years old. He's the first in history to win two different majors back to back simultaneously. And he is going to be going for his opportunity at a third consecutive U.S. Open in just a few weeks. He gave the cold shoulder to his girlfriend early on in the day. He's really focused before he's when he's playing, right before he's starting. And his girlfriend goes up to give him a kiss, and he just does not respond to her whatsoever. That was a, a meme and a gif floating around all week. So Kepka, you know, we all were talking about Tiger just not long ago, but he's pretty damn good. How about Deontay Wilder? This is interesting. Um, I ran a poll just on Twitter over the weekend and got a hundred votes. Deontay Wilder is awesome and all time. Great overrated in a weak era or not sure who is that 28% awesome and all time. Great 38% overrated in a weak era. 34% not sure who is that. Well, he is a current WBC heavyweight champion. He is 41 wins and one draw and 40 knockouts. And he is considered, you know, right there with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua as as the big top tier fighters. But the issue in boxing for a while has been they just can't seem to get the big fights scheduled. It just can't seem to get them. There's there's always a couple of really good fighters out there, and they just don't seem to to hook up ever. So can they get the Wilder versus Joshua fight scheduled? George Foreman says if Joshua and Wilder fight, it would be the biggest heavyweight fight of all time, bigger than anything. Joshua's twenty two and zero with twenty one KOs. Got a little a little boxing in there for you. Just a little quick on WWE. Money in the Bank was over the weekend. Bailey won one of the Money in the Banks. She cashed in. She's now one of the, the women's champ on SmackDown. Got that prediction right. I don't think anybody really thought Brock Lesnar was going to come back and win the other money in the bank. That's The fans don't really love seeing that. I don't mind seeing Brock, but I just don't like him in the title picture anymore because of how infrequent his schedule is. I think you want a champion who's going to be around all the time, and you want the belt to be around. And WWE is currently setting up that Saudi Arabia show where they're going to have uh, Undertaker versus Goldberg. Triple H versus Randy Orton. It looks like Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi. Braun Strowman versus Lashley. Finn versus Andrade. Roman versus Shane are some of the matches that have been carded so far. Quick thoughts on the Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel piece. There was a piece on HBO that was really tough to watch. It was all about the issues in horse racing, disturbing footage about the breakdowns, uh, a lot of the things that have been going on at Santa Anita recently. Not a whole lot of positive things you can say about it. Um... We obviously know that compared to international racing, USC, uh, US, the U.S. racing needs massive changes. They need to happen. 
and they need to happen in a way where it starts at the bottom and continues on because if you try to make a, va- a massive change right away, then you're going to get a lot of horses that are are responding negatively to some of the medications that they're currently on. So I think you have to start it next year, two years, whenever it is with two-year-old horses and, and go from there, whatever the, the uniform rules are. What's unfortunate is that the problems and the issues that have been, you know, facing horse racing have been facing horse racing for a long time. And we just, we don't see a lot of progress moving forward. It's just been real, real disappointing. So it's always tough to see um, something like that on the mainstream. And what was really frustrating is when they're running a piece like that, they're definitely looking for negativity. Obviously they're trying to uh, compliment their piece. And so they're not looking out to talk to people who have anything positive to say, because like anything, there are extremes, people that, you know, abuse power and people that are just bad in, in any industry, walk of life. And then there are always there's obviously the good people. We didn't really get to see or hear much from a lot of the good people um, or that side at all. But tough, tough to, to, to get through. On this day, May the 22nd, 1570, the world's first atlas was published. Flemish cartographer Abraham Ortelius woodcut maps systematically arranged and put together in a book called Theatrum Orbis Terrarum, Theater of the World. 1939, the Pact of Steel was signed between Hitler and Mussolini. It was between Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. It was intended to last 10 years. An agreement and cooperation between the two nations ended up lasting until 1943. But 1992, Johnny Carson's final appearance on The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson was hired in early 1962. He had a 30-year run on The Tonight Show. 2003, Annika Sornstam played in the Bank of America Colonial Tournament. She was the first woman to play in a PGA Tour event since 1945. She has 90 international wins, 72 official LPGA tournament wins, 10 major victories, number one all-time on the LPGA career earnings list. Some birthdays. 1859, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was born, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. 1907, Laurence Olivier, one of the greatest well-known actors of all time, four-time Academy Award winner, very polarizing acting style that was that was critiqued quite a bit. In his era. Let's get on to Preakness Weekend. Some of, uh, some of my overall thoughts and recaps from the Preakness Weekend. I saw an interaction on Twitter between a couple sharp gentlemen, Chris Larmy and Ed DeRosa. They were talking about Improbable going back to 1973. I think it was the last time that the favorite in both the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby didn't hit the board. When a horse was the favorite. So Improbable was favored in both and didn't hit the board. And then 2010 was the last time that the favorite in each race didn't hit the board. Which I think was looking at Lucky in in one and then uh, Super Saber in the other. We'll get to the Preakness in just a minute. Let's go through Friday undercard stuff. Shalone comes back, wins first start of the year at a short price. She's a nice one in the Philly and Mare Sprint Division. Kofivi. Very impressive. Breaking the track record. 107.70. Winning by 8.5. And she ran some decent fillies off their feet. She has big figures now. And now a big reputation after this win. So for me, this is 
probably the a type of horse I will play against next time out if it's in the right spot. If she's in a, a short field where she's the lone speed, then probably a race where I'll just skip. But if she's in another a race where she draws down to the inside, she has other speed to deal with. I think she, no matter what price she is in her next race, it's shorter than she should be, regardless of if she wins or loses. Have to remember that a lot of it's about process, right? Some days you're going to have good days, some days you're going to have bad days, but if you have, you can't shift the process. You have to continue to wager correctly, wager smart, and know that you're going to lose more days than you win, but when you win, you have to try to capitalize. Saw that tenfold loves Pimlico, winning the Pimlico special at 5-1. to one. One thing that frustrates me as a better Here's a little better's rant When you get locked in in a pick 4 or a pick 5 right? On Friday I, I got locked, knocked out of a pick 5 When my top selection Got scratched at the gate And I had another horse in that race That horse ran second You can play with an, al- an alternate I think when you're at the track sometimes But we have to get better of having the opportunity To I don't, you know, have an alternate or That just no matter what I, would, I just wanted to complain because I hate losing that way. I always want to get a run for my money, right? If my I, the easiest way for me to get over a loss is if the horse or what the game or whatever I'm selecting is just wrong, is just off. If you know they get into some trouble, that always makes you wonder what it coulda shoulda. And if you don't get a chance to run, that's even worse, especially when you're locked in. So some of my Friday frustrations there from a Pimlico Friday. So Point of Honor was on the also eligible list for the Oaks. Didn't get in. Wins the Black Eyed Susan. And she's a nice, nice filly. Fan of her. Philly I might have played in the in the Oaks if she was in there. Saturday, King for a Day won early in the card. Off to the Pegasus Stakes at Monmouth. And that could be a meeting with maximum security. Mitchell Road. I thought it was impressive on the front end in the Grade 3 Gallarette. This horse got bet hard late. I was not a real fan of hers. I thought that... She was in a little tough because this was at least a decent grade three race, I thought. You know, not a grade one caliber race, but for grade three, we don't see a lot of times we can see some really soft grass races going along on the grass or some races of, that come up short. I thought there were a couple decent horses that she beat in there, and but she was able to really take advantage of the, the pace there getting out front. Catholic Boy wins the return. Looks like he's pointing to the grade 2 Suburban on July the 6th. It could be a big year for Catholic Boy who can run on both surfaces. Let me get to the Preakness. Improbable was banging around at the gate before the start. Bodie Express unseats Johnny V. And then we have a loose horse. Johnny V goes up and over Bodie Express. I'm sure most of us have seen Johnny V get vaulted up and above. Market King... Uh, Warrior and Warriors, another twist. They're out front. They're creating a quick early pace. War of Will was tucked in right behind them. Was alongside Always Mining. He waited patiently for room. He angled inside. It was a nice win, and it was a perfect trip for War of Will. He was the winner at six to one. Everfast was second at twenty nine to one. Owendale was third at just under eight to one. Warriors Charge was fourth at twelve to one. Laughing Fox was fifth at twenty-one to one. And then it was improbable sixth. Win 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 seventh. Bourbon War eighth. Signalman ninth. Another twist of faith tenth. Always mining eleventh. Market King twelfth. And Bodie Express, well, he was last. Didn't have the jock on. Not a great triple crown so far for Baffert, right? First two uh, jewels of the triple crown. You have uh, improbable here get beat. Improbable game winner had a lot of trouble. Uh, we didn't see uh, a whole lot from Roadster. Let's get to some of your uh, posts online. So this is what the Belmont looks like right now. Everfast, Game Winner, Intrepid Heart, Master Fencer, Owendale, Sir Winston, Spinoff, Tacitus, 
Tax and War of Will are the horses that we've heard have interest in the Belmont. John Stetton, the Pick Six King. John, make sure to check out John Stetton over at Pass the Wire. Real good website if you're interested in horse racing. Uh, great news, all sorts of deep dive articles and columns. John does a great job. It says, War of Will ran not so fast on a very fast track against a horse who was just beat 40 plus lengths in his last three starts. Got a dream golden rail run. Just the facts. John's just speaking facts. We see Azora High was talking uh, maximum security. He's kind of talking about how maximum security ran a slow, slow forward a derby beat. Uh, made and then crossed the line first in the Kentucky Derby War of Will Run the Preakness. So there, he was just talking kind of, I think, about maximum security, what he did. Although, you know, there are some rebuttals coming soon a little bit. We see Bangkok Buck, Tokyo Trojan. He says, uh, Caleb had a great, Caleb TBG had a great point. Basically, unless we're looking at a triple crown champ, Preakness runners that win the belt, win the Belmont at a super low rate. For me, that points to Tacitus. Let's see, Azor, Ohio, what about non-derby winning Preakness winners? Not so bad. 2006 came, six came to run in the Belmont, 2-1 point given to Fleet Alex. Curlin and Oxbow finished second. Shackford, Exaggerator were off the board. Not bad. Brian Monzo, Monzo, hope you're doing well. He said, loved War of Will in the Preakness, but I do think he's distance limited to a mile and 316. So I can tell you right now, Tacitus is going to be my play at Belmont as long as the price isn't ridiculously low. Kind of agree with uh, with what most of Brian said, but I, I'm getting the feeling that Tacitus is is going to get quite a bit of action. Zor War of Will always talented, put himself in a three year old contention. Uh, some are maybe more intriguing. Tax Tacitus main contender. Um, did let's see. Don't think uh, mentions global campaign. Good to hear from Zor. Ed Gray says Bill Mott Tacitus my key. Ernie Arnold, my thoughts for that. War of Will was not only interfered with coming off the turn, but again, that Max bumped in mid-stretch. So in my opinion, he could have won, but we will never know. No wonder, though, that War of Will hung a bit. So he's talking a little bit still about that Derby DQ every last dime. The horse who ran second to Pimlo is going to be one of the worst looking horses on paper who's ever at the board of Triple Crown race, talking ever fast. Bit of a gold rail. So uh, how do you rate the winner? Tricky to take a short price on any of them. Game winner if he runs might be interesting. Fred Reek, Reeky, truly that horse was impossible to even consider. He's talking about ever fast and every last time going back and forth. Right socially, pretty pleased with Catholic boys return. Forced to be reckoned with. Twitter, Jojo, uh, Joe Jacks was talking game winner. Yeah, it looks like game winner is pointing towards the Belmont. Angelo, really nothing to handy, re-handicap. If you believe the trip affected... A War of Will from winning or a good second. He just didn't have it, and he uh, ranked that final quarter. If he thought it affected him, he was a standout because he wins or places. He's the favorite that. Um, he's talking about the uh, rail being a conveyor belt all day. Aaron from Louisville likes War of Will to repeat at Belmont as of now. Thinks he's all too classy. Uh, and then Drain, a U.S. veteran, or U.S. veteran says War of Will will win the Belmont. Lynn Newton says War of Will may have been a triple crown possibility, if not for the Derby incident. My buddy and I were talking about this just the other day. So those were your tweets. Now let's get to some of your posts over on Facebook. So trying to get a little more little more uh, social media friendly with everyone out there. Joe Killen says, The race co Fivi one was insane. 107.70 on a race with little or no run-up. She's running the biggest sprint races this year. War of Will got a dream rail, but I expected a big race uh, when he came right back after the Derby. Tacitus will win the Belmont. 
Love to play the tapid horses at Belmont, especially in a non-triple crown year. Wade Miller. Of all the commotion involving the Derby DQ, one must wonder if War of Will wins the Derby along with the Preakness and would be aimed for a triple crown. After all, it's War of Will who got his legs chopped by maximum security. Rick Marsenak says, I think coming out of the first two big weekends of racing, Fairgrounds held the big winners, Oaks, Derby, and Preakness. Chris Petit, Tacitus for sure in the Belmont. John Moore, ditto on Tacitus in the Belmont. Victoria Townsend, love Tacitus, but I think War of Will wins the Belmont. Howard. With a picture of Jimmy the Dog's Belmont pick. It is Tacitus. Um, that's, uh, that's great. That's great. I had to, had to click and see the picture of, uh, of Jimmy the Dog. Then, uh, let's see. Robert Kornfeld gave me a, took a shot at me. He said, played your pricks on, uh, played your picks on Freakness Day where you gave an in-depth look at the card via your podcast. Still in process of awaiting a bank loan I had to request to cover the beatdown I suffered because you have been any more pitiful. Which, I don't mind those kind of responses when I was pitiful. But I, I you know, you, you read back, we didn't really connect on any of the exotics, but I went back and I posted it to, to let him know that we, we weren't great, but we just, that definitely wasn't pitiful. I can show you pitiful. You want to see pitiful? Nice to hear from uh, Scott Powell and John Moore. Frank uh, Zabaronk says, oh, "Anyone, yeah, who had uh, Everfast <laughs> must must have been involved with the connections. That one was tough to get to." Tim Seals was one of the few people that was asking about Sir Winston and where will Sir Winston show up next? And I have seen Sir Winston kind of pop up. On a couple different posts, let's see, Mark Anderson talks about loving Taxidus in the Belmont. Good to hear from you, Mark. Vic Taylor, Sir Winston, love a deep closer at the Belmont. Should be flying late in a nice price, maybe 20 to 1 or higher. So um, the discussion about Sir Winston as a live long shot. Make sure to get your post in. We'll always try to get through all of your, uh, or as many as I can, or as I remember to click on. Let's go from the Preakness to the NBA. We saw the Golden State Warriors just with a very, very impressive sweep over the Portland Trail Blazers. And Damian Lillard was a little banged up, but Golden State was playing with without Durant. And the question that's been asked quite a bit all over is this team better without Durant? Now, with and without Durant, this is what the Warriors have done recently. They have been 18-1 and in their last 19 playoff series over the last five years and 75-23 and in the games in those series. In this recent series that they swept, they trailed for more minutes than they led. They were behind for 101 minutes and they led for 83 minutes against Portland. That's the only team, in, and it's the only team in the past 20 years to overcome a 15-plus point deficit in three straight games. They were down 17 in Game 2, 18 in Game 3, and 17 in Game 4. Now they're hanging out and they're waiting for Toronto-Milwaukee. Are they better without Durant? They are 5-0. and They have, and Steph Curry just put up the most points in NBA playoff history in a four-game sweep in a series. He scored 146 points. That was more than Shaq and Kobe scored in some of their four-game sweep series, and now he has the record. He averaged 35.8 points, 6.6 assists, 7.6 rebounds, and 41% from three, trending towards 42% from three. 
With Durant in the playoffs, they have a plus 5.9 points per game. And they are much better without Durant. Just from statistics. Just from the plus minus numbers from what they allow on the offensive and the defensive end. They are 31-1 in their last 32 games when Kevin Durant is out and Steph Curry plays. 31-1. That's pretty remarkable. Now, I'll say this. I think they have more fun. I think they are probably more fun to watch. They seem to like playing with each other. They move the ball more. Their role players get a little more time. And it seems to make the whole team just easier to root for. But I don't think they're better without Durant. Because even if your margin of victory isn't as much, the end of the game or in in big situations, you obviously want to have Kevin Durant out there to go get you a bucket, whether you like him or not. Milwaukee-Toronto series is now tied 2-2 after a big game from Lowry. The obvious question is, Kawhi, is he banged up? It was a much more balanced game from Toronto. They kind of needed that. Kawhi, 19 points, 4 steals, and a couple blocks, and a plus-minus of plus 16. Lowry had 25 points. Gasol had 17 points and 7 assists. Powell had 18. Ibaka had 17. And then Van Fleet added 13. So... That kind of production is what they need. They need a couple other pieces stepping up because what it's become, and honestly, it we know what we're going to get for the most part in the Giannis versus Kawhi. Now, which every game, which teams, number two, three, four players will step up? Will we get Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bledsoe, and Miritich stepping up, or will we have a game like this where it's Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka and, you know, Siakam not scoring, but you're still getting good minutes from him. I predicted Milwaukee in seven. I have no reason to change the prediction right now. Game five, heading back to Milwaukee. Let's get through some of your uh, social media tweets and posts about this NBA. Toastman from Philly says, I think Warriors will toy with either Milwaukee or Toronto. Jake says Milwaukee will be in the finals. They're really good, but the Warriors will win in six. Nice to hear from Jake Lake. Chris Mondragon, I've watched every minute of every game this year. The Warriors with Kade, with Kevin Durant are awesome. When he is hurt, they just try to find a way. They miss him. His defense is underrated. Picks wise, NBA, the Warriors better with Durant. Narrative needs to stop in a hurry. And I just responded that that there are some numbers that are hard to look over. He said, you know, he said fair, but I care more about the eye test than the numbers. And I'm I'm kind of in agreement with that. I think it has to, you have to have a a combination, right? Eye test and the numbers. You have to let them. Complement each other What you see on the eyes Has to kind of sort of match What you see with the numbers Bobby, poker lover I think Toronto has the best chance I think they have a better roster But both teams might be worn out If it goes seven games Jim Medley says Nobody can beat the Warriors Sherry Beaumont said uh, They are not better without Durant They are more exciting to watch without him They play with more heart I think it's because He's not stealing all the spotlight Neither team can beat the Warriors I thought the Rockets were their best matchup, and you see what happened there. Just run, baby. Ray the Raiders. As if Iguodala, KD, and maybe even Cousins are back with the bench getting valuable playing time? I don't think so. Fred Orr. As better is up for debate, but they're definitely more fun to watch. Absolutely, the Warriors without Durant. The pastimer. No, not nobody could beat the Warriors. They're not better without Durant, and he thinks Durant is going to New York. Lynn Newton says, I think they can win regardless, but he's uh, but Lynn uh, is a diehard dub nation. I'd said, much rather face Toronto. 
Katie probably gone, but who the hell knows what Katie's really thinking. I think all the New York talk is laughable. If he can barely handle the media in the Bay, he should want no part of New York. I I agree with that, right? He is not one, like, he goes up and down with the media, and he doesn't like, he, when, when things aren't going quite well for him, he seems like, to, he seems to be frustrated, and it's not going to be easy carrying your own team in New York if that's what ends up happening. It's a little different when you're in Golden State, things are going well, even when you lose a few games here, you're still a good team, No, you know, you have so many other stars on the team, kind of take some of the pressure off you, it's a little different when you're carrying your own team. Marco Cini says, of course, uh, any of the teams have a chance against Golden State, but it's a small one. I believe Golden State won a title before Durant, and they are filled with scorers and defenders. Let's see. Those were our Twitter responses. And then over on Facebook, always want to get your responses. Craig Hopper says Toronto will beat Golden State in four. And uh, Howard Chinchuk says, what a different sport. They were going back and forth and having fun. And uh, Greg says he's from Toronto. He says he almost he knows almost zero about hoops. Alex Robledo, what's up, Robledo? He says Milwaukee will beat Golden State in six. Charles Simon, Milwaukee could beat Golden State, but they won't probably. Toronto has no chance against Golden State. Chris Jones agrees. So they uh, Charles says that the Raptors can't score enough to keep up. Jason McArdle. Golden State will win in five. The Warriors play better team ball without Durant. You know, it seems like that, right? They definitely play better team ball because you're not getting as many Durant isos. Matt McCumber says Jason is spot on. The debate is laughable. Nine days to heal with that caliber lineup, even with no Slim Reaper. No shot for the upstarts, in my opinion. Paul Aguirre says the Bucks should win the series. Way too much size and hope the Warriors can find a way. And Paul and Matt were talking about... Uh, how good Steph is. Don August says Warriors will beat the Bucks in six, maybe in seven. Stan Ware was talking about if the Bucks don't succumb to the pressures of playing in their first finals. They can beat the Warriors if Durant doesn't play. They have too much height, outside shooting, plus they have in, uh, they have depth and they are good defensively. They have home court advantage. The Bucks will finish Toronto in either five or six, depending on the result of tonight, as long as Giannis doesn't get injured. Paolo Sanchez. A lot of people are locking the Bucks to beat the Warriors, although they are a good team and doing well. The Warriors are on a completely different level. It would be a good series, but the Warriors would get them in six. It's not sure how many people the Bucks think the Bucks will beat the Warriors. Maybe they're just hoping they will beat them. Frank Rizzo. Milwaukee is the only chance to win the whole enchilada. Gary Williams. Says Milwaukee. Scott Powell would love to see Golden State get knocked off, but I don't see it happening. I believe Milwaukee is the best chance, though. Long, athletic, deep. Ron has a couple futures. Looks like Milwaukee at 75 to 1, Toronto at 30 to 1. Good luck, Ron. Becky McPherson, no. Charlie Z, no. Bill. Bill Bogosian. Don't count the Raptors out yet, but the Warriors get the ramp back. You can forget it if the uh, Warriors beat either team and Draymond is playing his butt off. Yeah, he is. Draymond's playing. Maybe the best basketball he's ever played right now. Warriors will have a huge experience edge over whoever they play. Warriors will win the title in five games. That was Bill. Michael Vasluzo. Either team has no chance. The funny part is Golden State versus Toronto is only one favor, 140 favorite. That kind of makes me rethink it. I would never bet Milwaukee, especially at a plus 120, but why so low? Not a better team without KD, but just remember they demolished the Cavaliers last season, and I think they're still a great team, but not a better team. Doesn't if KD leaves now after seeing how unbeatable this team is, he really doesn't want to go somewhere and maybe try to beat Golden State. Good to hear from Michael. Tim Seals said the Bucks could. 
Donnie Cripps says, pretty sure Golden State could beat Toronto in hockey. Scott McDonald says, no. Great to hear from you with your thoughts on the NBA. Now let's talk some Magic Johnson. I'm a Laker fan, right? Huge Laker fan. Love Magic. All-time great. One of the greatest Lakers ever. He's done a lot for the community. Done a lot for the franchise, for the organization. If he didn't have some of his physical issues... Maybe he goes down in the conversation with Michael Jordan as one of the best all time if he's able to win a couple more championships and play a few more years. But Magic went on the air the other day. We saw Magic Johnson step down as the president of basketball operations for the Lakers. He, from the beginning, didn't do a good job. What what Magic did is he got LeBron. He got LeBron. Other than that, a lot of the moves he made were not good. And I was very... Willing to give him an opportunity because when somebody seems to have a plan or you, you want to give someone an opportunity to see what their plan is before you blast them. And I, I was giving him the opportunity to do so. But when you hear Magic talk about basketball right now and, and how the way it should be played and some of his ideas of players and who would fit well and different fits for the team, he was not a good president of basketball operations. He went on air the other day and he blasted Rob Palinka. Who? Rob Palinka is, by all accounts, not well liked. Supposedly backstabbing someone who was talking behind Magic Johnson's back about him. That's been Rob's reputation. But the I've never heard Rob talked about as someone who doesn't work hard. So maybe maybe Rob was telling people or whatever was being said, but Magic was not there. He was not around. He was not doing his job. The president of basketball operations, the person in charge who's making all the decisions, they have to be there more. And he he tweeted that he enjoyed working with Rob Palenka after stepping down. He had dinner with Jeannie recently and they posted pictures. It seemed like things were okay. And then he made a tweet that said the truth will come out and and something was up. They scheduled this first take where he was going to talk about everything that happened in the Lakers organization. And, you know, he says, I'm not a guy who holds grudges as he sits on first take airing the Lakers dirty laundry on the day that the press conf- they had the press conference to hire their new coach. That was from Andy Kamenitsky. He talks about how he told Jeannie that he can't give up his businesses, so he's going to be in and out of the office. He said this to Stephen A. Smith on first take. Well, when he got hired, he was on Spectrum Sports sitting down in an interview with Jeannie. They were being interviewed, and he said, and I quote, if it was any other situation, I would not have left my businesses aside, left my businesses fully to concentrate 150% on Laker business. Does that sound like what Magic Johnson just said? No. So, he said that. It wasn't like somebody said Magic said that. He said that, and then he was not in there doing work. We've seen great players don't make great executives always. They don't make great coaches always. This sucked. This was not cool. It did not make Magic look good, and it didn't make the Lakers look good. And he, I don't know if he was trying to blast them right before free agency to try to, 
you know, for whatever he was trying to do, try to get Rob Palenka out of there. It seems like Rob's not going anywhere. The Lakers have announced they they never had a president of basketball operations, really. It was Jim Buss for a while. He wasn't the president. He was like, it's the vice president. But they kind of created this position for Magic, and so they got rid of it. Rob's going to be in charge. He'll be the GM. Rob talked about... Rob had a rebuttal because right after right after Magic's comments, the Lakers had their press conference to announce Frank Vogel as the new head coach. And so, of course, this entire press conference now isn't even about Frank Vogel as the new coach. It's all about what Magic said. Responses to Magic. What Magic said about this. And so, I thought Vogel came off really good. I thought Rob Palinka came off really good. Uh, Rob just talked about how he was sad to hear that. He said he enjoyed his time working with Magic. He said he spoke to Magic since. He said he would like to try to clear the air with Magic and he doesn't know where and what was being said. You know, I thought he handled it probably as best as you could handle responding to something in that situation. You know, Anthony Irwin on Twitter who covers the Lakers. Magic was rarely there. Didn't scout, didn't show up. He left without telling anyone and then went on TV to blast his friend and former employer. Yeah, that was Anthony Irwin. Could you imagine to, you know, like all of us, whatever job anyone works, if they give your notice before you leave, Magic just left. He didn't even tell anyone. That was it. He didn't give any notice or anything. I'm, I'm out. He didn't sign Brooke Lopez for $3 million. He mentioned that that was one of his mistakes. He said he did not want to sign Randall because he did not want to lock up space. Okay, whatever. That at least makes some. You, you, there's some reasoning that you can follow there. But the Zubak trade, he said, yeah, big deal. You know, Zubak wasn't going to be a big piece of a championship. And he, he gave Zubak up for Muscala. It was a horrible trade. And then he laughed at Zubats when Stephen A. Smith presented Zubats' stats. He was laughing at him. And he said he couldn't even get on the floor in the Golden State Clippers series. I mean, that's not like. He, he didn't come off very mature. He did not come off very well. He did get LeBron. And I do think that that was a big reason why LeBron came here. I don't think LeBron comes without magic. I don't. I give him credit for that. But everything he's done since has just been really head scratching. Wade Miller. From what I gather, Magic didn't want to put in the time in order to justify his position. You're right. It's full-time position finding gems, acquired players from around the league, global game. Palinka's not qualified either for his position. Wade, you're right, but there have been situations similar to this. Bob Myers up in Golden State. That's why they wanted to put a team together with Magic and Palinka, because Palinka is qualified to do the, the scouting, to do, he knows the contracts. He's never been Discussed as someone who doesn't work hard But I sort of agree with you Palinka alone, Wade, is not qualified For this position Wade and I have gone back and forth about the Lakers We're going to have a fun year battling about the Lakers uh, Because I know most people Kind of feel the way that Wade feels Because they're they're seeing what's happening in the Lakers And, and you're, they're loving it Because they're not Laker fans They don't want things to go well So they kind of like to pile it on But there's a lot of truth In all of the dysfunction right now in Lakerville uh, LeBron is going to be sorry at this point He signed I don't know about sorry But I'm sure he's going Man, I, I thought I talked to Magic But the, here's the thing about LeBron now Is LeBron going to just curl up like into a little ball And just give up? I don't think so I've been a, 
against LeBron, rooted against him, and ne- never been a huge fan of his. But you have to kind of grow to respect what he's done through the years. And I don't, I just can't see LeBron going out this way. I think he has to come back with a, another good year or two. I think he's going to be rested, not having had played the playoffs, missing some time this season. I think he will be hungry next year, and I expect him to be right in the conversation for MVP again. People for kind of talk about LeBron like it was 10 years ago when he was dominant. It was last year when he was in the finals, when he was carrying a team to the finals. And I think this Laker team, still have, they still have a lot of filling in to do, but they are... They're set... I like the way that they're set right now. I like when you start with LeBron and the young kids and then you have kind of a blank canvas. Let's see. Tim. Tim Tesmer. Nice to hear from Tim. Yeah, we had a lot of back and forth with Wade and uh, and Stan Ware talking about the difference between the Lakers and the Clippers. And, you know, the Clippers are set up very well right now. They they have a young team. Their off front office looks good. They've been doing things well. But keep in mind, when people are automatically saying Kawhi is going to come as a free agent or the Clippers are going to get a big free agent, remember this. The Clippers promised Blake Griffin to be the face of their franchise for life. Then they traded him immediately. <laughs> like right after that, after promising Blake, they got rid of him. Now, was that a good basketball decision by the Clippers? Absolutely. Sure. But... Do stars remember things like that and see things like that? Because the one thing that you can say about the Lakers is what they did with Kobe at the end of his career. They do seem to take care of their stars. And will that be enough to lure someone to LA? To the Laker side of LA. Now the Clippers are the big buzz team. Howard Chinchuk. We were talking, he said, you know, they doesn't think the Lakers roster is as good. That's where I, you know, LeBron, Ingram, Kuzma, Lonzo, Hart is what you have. I think you need one of these big free agents and then you fill in. You need a big man, another shooter, and that's your eight-man rotation. Can we get a Jimmy Butler? Can we get a Kawhi? Can we get a, you know, I don't think Clay's going anywhere. I don't think Kevin Durant's coming here. Kyrie, maybe. Um, what about like the next tier, like a Vuzovic or a Kemba? I think those players would help the Lakers quite a bit. So Wade, yeah, I know it's like Wade and Stan are talking about the clips. They're set up to be good. I just feel like they need that star. I think people are forgetting that LeBron in a playoff series is still going to be a very tough out. And I think with you look at the, the way the playoffs this year in the, in the West were right. If the Lakers were a number three, a number two, three, six, or seven, they would have been on the opposite side of the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets. And I genuinely think that with LeBron and a healthy roster that the Lakers had, they would have been able to compete and beat Portland or Denver or the Spurs or the teams on the other side of the bracket that didn't play very well. Oklahoma City wasn't playing well at that time. Now, again, it's it's health. And I was going to say, well, they didn't do that, but people just forget how injured this team was. I don't think they were bad. We will see, though, and I welcome if the Lakers are just bad, all of all of the hate emails, the hate posts, tweets, bring them on. I love them because it's fun. This is, this is what it's 
fun to battle back and forth. It's fun because this is prediction time, right? This is what's going to happen next year before we really know a lot. So it's fun trying to predict those things. And uh, Tim Tesmer was also in the mix there with uh, with Stanware and Howard Chinchuk and Wade. Really enjoyed the back and forth, whether or not we agree. I like the uh, the discussions there with you folks about about magic, about the Lakers, and uh, what the future of the Lakers looks like. Over on Twitter, Toastman from Philly. It's all great. Go 76ers. Azor says, Magic sandbag them. Apparently said nothing of the sort when he talked to Jeannie about leaving. He tried to bring the house down as their new coach was being introduced. That said, I think Palinka did do those things, and he is just a shady, weird overall setup. For the most part, I'm I'm in agreement with, with you there, Azor. Said, uh, had it not been for the domestic situations and drunk driving, I think they would have just hired Kid. The literal and figurative family dynamic there is going to damn them. Yeah, with Jason Kidd on the staff. Magic was president for three years uh, until he's ready to have it over Polinka. Vogel coach with Kidd. Obvious eventual replacement in the shadows. No wonder there is drama. James Puglisi said, as a Warriors homie, my head spins how tight this organization is and operates and performs. It'd be nice to be a fan. And he said, uh, just seems helter-skelter in Lakerland. You're right. Said Bobby, poker lover. I think Magic should be quiet about it. He's a legend. He doesn't need to go out like that, even if it's true. Spooky electric. Lakers stink. Palenka stinks. LeBron is 3-0 in the playoffs against Vogel. You think he's going to listen to anything he has to say? Well, yeah, it doesn't matter if you beat him. He got better teams. He had really, I mean, undermanned teams competing with LeBron and LeBron's teams. I think LeBron has respect for him. He showed up the other day. This is the thing. I think People are expecting LeBron to whine and, and pout. Which he's done a lot before, right? One, he's won, he's won while he's done that. Two, he hasn't been injured very much. And so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for one injury. Is he getting older? Will he miss some games here or there? But I don't think he's injury prone. With the amount of money he spends taking care of his body, he's one of the first players in this generation to have all the cryogenic chambers and spend a million dollars with the trainers and, and the, the post-workouts and the pre-workout stuff. Mark Rossini, none of us know exactly what transpired, but when members of any organization start publicly airing their dirty laundry, it needs to be torched from the top down and rebooted. You're not wrong. I'd love to have seen them bring somebody in to run things, somebody with the with the experience to do so. Last thought on that, I like Frank Vogel from what I've seen. I just like how he's come in, I, what he said, he's saying all the right things. And some coaches come in and they're not saying the right things, right? Some coaches come in and immediately you're like, I don't know, that didn't sound great. But I think he understands the situation. He understands and he's, he just wants to to win. I think he likes coaching basketball and he had the opportunity to be on TV. He had the opportunity to take other positions. I think he he liked this spot. He didn't go coach with Houston in the air. I think he was kind of waiting for his opportunity to maybe get another head coaching job. Thought looked like he was going to be the assistant and now... He's the head with with kid and LeBron showed up at the press conference. LeBron seems to be he can't waste another year. He's getting older, right? LeBron doesn't have ten more years left. He can't just you know cry and 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 sandbag and then you know get a coach fired. And I just I don't expect him to do that again at this late stage. And maybe I'm wrong. And maybe a lot of you who are expecting him to do that are, are correct. And we will see and we'll we'll dispute it all throughout the NBA season. Shifting the focus to the MLB National League, the Nationals. Oof. They have the worst bullpen in the year in the bull, bullpen ERA in the majors. 
they are just suffering from injuries. Trey Turner. Barely seen Trey Turner at all. Soto's been injured and then been slumping. Max Scherzer is 2-5. and five. He leads the National League in strikeouts, but also in hits allowed. Which you would just not expect from Scherzer. They're nine games behind the Phillies. And the Rendon contract is up at the end of the year. Are they still going to trade? Are they going to trade him if they're still struggling in a month or two? Is this someone they don't want to let walk because we just saw Bryce Harper walk and they got nothing out of that? Do they want to maybe try to get some something back for Rendon and trade him if they're not in contention? I picked the Nationals to make the playoffs and I'm, you know, they're pitching. I just never thought that they would would be so bad and things have not been going well. You're chasing the Phillies who are solid and they're just getting okay production from Bryce Harper. Harper is only hitting 224. With nine home runs and 31 RBIs and a 360 on base percentage. You know, we we know Harper gets on base quite a bit. The the Mets, they're struggling. They're struggling behind a team like the Phillies because when you compare lineups, right? Look at the Phillies lineup. Real Mudo, Cesar Hernandez, Segura, and Hoskins. They've been providing a lot of production. And McCutcheon and Herrera, Mikel Franco, if, if those are the you know, the, some of the bottom or weak spots in your lineup, your lineup is good. Do the Phillies have enough top-tier pitching to, to make it or to be a serious contender in a in playoff series? The Mets, they won a couple in a row after a bad weekend. They lost three in a row to the Marlins over the weekend. It was the first time since 2017 that the Marlins swept the series. Cano has just been awful right now. He's only hitting 244 with a 291 on base percentage. Nemo is only hitting 200. But you do get a bright spot from Alonzo with 16 home runs and 36 RBIs. And then what the hell just happened with Cespedes? He was, quote, on his ranch. He had a violent fall in which he stepped in a hole and twisted and put his leg and foot in a difficult position. And now he is out. Done. They have a lot of guys that are playing out of position. And it ends up hurting them on defense. When you have a good pitching staff, or what you hope to be a good pitching staff, you need to set up your defense in order to complement your strength there. But DeGrom has been struggling. 3.98 ERA. Syndergaard at a 4.50 ERA. And Wheeler at a 4.74 ERA. They're not going to be good if those numbers are, are like that. This team will never win games with that kind of ERA from their you know top three starting pitchers. The Braves have been steady. The Marlins, the back like most expected, sweeping their first series since 2017. Now, the Cubs. Man, I've been wrong about the Cubs. And I was reading an article about the projections of the Cubs. They're playing really, really good baseball. And a lot of it has to do with their pitching and how far exceeding their projections and expectations that they've been. I mean, you look at players like John Lester, for example, was projected to have a 4.4 ERA this year, and he has a 2.09 ERA. All of their starting pitchers are way below what the projected ERAs were. And that's why I still feel like in a tough division that the Cubs are more likely to come back to the mean than to continue this. Like Cole Hamels, 
is almost a full run lower projected. He was projected to be over four. He has three, 3.13. Quintana, 3.68. He was projected to be at four. Hendricks is a little lower than he was projected, but Hendricks always is is a pretty is a pretty good and pretty low ERA type pitcher. You Darvish, I don't know if you're going to get much from them, but it's really Lester, the one who is pitching. This is the best season he's ever had. So I'm thinking that these numbers are going to even out a little bit because their batting order for the Cubs is excellent. I don't think that's going to stop. I think they're always going to have a deep. They're going to have a deep lineup with a lot of, you know, and they're going to score a lot of runs. But their margin of error when these pitching numbers start to float up a little bit, can be smaller. And we're going to expect teams like you now the Brewers to stay solid. I think the Pirates are going to. Regress a little bit because they have a good pitching staff, but they do not score a lot of runs. They have a minus 44 run differential, but there's three games over 500. And you look at the Reds, who have a plus 27 run differential, but they're four games under 500. They've allowed the least amount of runs in baseball at 165. So defensively, and their pitching staff has been very good, but they're getting no production right now from a lot of the big. Bats in their lineup, and you expect Votto, he's hitting 209, even if he hits 240. Puig's hitting 206, same thing. Even if these guys jump up to 240, 250, Peraza, 199, and they've all had over 130 at bats. They will get more from Votto, who's only has a .2 war. And their team ERA is what's keeping them, what's giving them a shot, and they're, they're going to get back, you know, Alex Wood after the All Star break. Luis Castillo's been excellent. Molly and Tanner Rourke have been fine. Sonny Gray has been solid. They just have arms now. And none of them none of them have to none of them are pitching so absurd besides Castillo that they can't continue what they're doing. I would bet the Reds and the Cardinals to continue to step forward to improve and I would bet that the Cubs and the Pirates have some regression coming up just based on the numbers. You look at the Cardinals Goldschmidt's only hitting 254. Ozuna's only hitting 233. Carpenter's only hitting 202. And Wong is now struggling after a good start. He's down to 238. You expect those numbers to tweak a little bit, even if they slightly improve. And then their pitching staff has to improve, right? Mikolas has a 4.8 ERA. Flaherty has over a 4 ERA. Wainwright has a 4.7 ERA. Dakota Hudson has a 4.4 ERA. Michael Walker has a 5.5 ERA. Andrew Miller has a 4.6 ERA and a 1.5 whip. They just got Carlos Martinez back. That's going to help their pitching staff. So in that NL Central, which was always expected to be a, a tight division, I think we'll see a little bit of movement from, from the Cardinals, who should only improve, and actually from the Reds, who are who are not a bad baseball team. They're really not. Dodgers playing some good baseball right now. I think they're getting beat up by Tampa, like right as I'm recording this. But before I was recording this, 32 and 17, or before uh, 32 and 17, leading MLB in two out RBIs with 106. They're playing like one of the better teams in baseball, and their starting pitching had allowed three earned runs over the past 32 innings. In the last 23 games, their starters had a 2.09 ERA, 152 strikeouts, and 19 walks and the 17-6 and six record in that span. Ryu, 31 consecutive scoreless innings. He has a 1.52 ERA with 59 strikeouts and 4 walks. Maeda, 3.5 ERA and over 9 strikeouts per 9 innings. Bueller's down to 3.83 ERA and a 1.05 whip. Kershaw's down to 3.3 and his whip under 1.98. Hill, good couple games. Stripling and Urias now 
moved to the bullpen. Urias, after the incidents, he has been reinstated. We'll see what happens with Urias after the uh, the domestic dispute, domestic violence issue. Don't really hard to touch something like to talk about or to you know touch that topic because it's under investigation. So we'll we'll react to it once we know more of what happens. It's tough to respond when when you just don't really know all the facts about about something like that. Shifting over to the American League. Yankees taking over in the AL West, 30 and 17. And whether or not you like the Yankees, you really have to be impressed with what they've been doing this year with all of the injuries. They're getting major production from LeMahieu, Ursula, Luke Voigt, Gary Sanchez, Claybor Torres. How about Domingo Herman? 2.6 ERA, 0.98 whip, 9.3 strikeouts per nine innings. He's 9 and 1. Tanaka's been solid. When you have those two, and then Hap hasn't been great, but Paxton coming back soon, CC, they're going to be tough. Didi Gregorius is on the way back. Paxton, Tulowitzki, Judge will all be back soon. Now, Stanton did have a recent setback, but that's fine. They have they have plenty coming back, and this is a really deep baseball team. The Rays are just behind them. They were a solid 27-18 and 18. I think they just split with the with the Dodgers. The Red Sox played well for a couple weeks, but they're still five and a half behind the Yankees, and the Yanks have tons of help on the way. So now can the Red Sox continue to play well as they've kind of steadied after a horrible start, kind of that World Series hangover? Toronto, the Blue Jays, they have seven players with over 100 at-bats, and their highest batting average on the team is 266 with Freddie Galvis. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is now up to 247. His last four games, he's six for 15 with two home runs, five runs, and four RBIs. He's fun to look forward to. Could be a, a big star in the future. Baltimore Orioles have a minus 105 run differential. Through 48 games, they have they are down 105 runs. About the Twins went two in a row, while the Indians have lost three in a row. The, Three in a row. The White Sox have lost three in a row, and the Tigers have lost seven in a row. Minnesota is up seven games in the division. They're second in the MLB with 90 home runs. They're second in batting average, and they're eighth in ERA, fifth in the American League. So we're talking about a team who's top two offensively with home runs and batting average, and a team who's top 10 in, in pitching. That's a formula that bodes wins. The Twins are getting production from a lot of players. Who are are just they're they're solid. I mean, Polanco three thirty nine with eight home runs. They all have all of these players have one hundred twenty six at bats or more. So not small sample sizes. Eddie Rosario thirteen home runs and thirty seven RBIs. You're getting production from Kepler two fifty nine home runs and a three three twenty eight on base percentage. Scope. 266, but he has 8 home runs and 25 RBIs. CJ Crone, 12 home runs and 29 RBIs and hitting 250. Byron Buxton, 260, 325 on base percentage with 8 steals, 24 RBIs. Marvin Gonzalez heating up now, 324 on base percentage and some versatility. Nelson Cruz, 277 home runs. So this is a team that is deep. I mean, that's a that's a solid group of players offensively. Move to the Astros. They're up to 33 and 16. They have an eight game lead in the division. And Michael Brantley is hitting 326 with 10 home runs and 34 RBIs. Springer playing like an MVP, 
313, 17 home runs, 42 RBIs, 4 stolen bases, and a 1,050 OPS. Correa, 11, 11 jacks and 32 RBIs, 292. Bregman's been really good, 14 home runs and 34 RBIs. Reddick's hitting 333 through 150 at-bats. They're doing all this without Altuve, who's been hurt, and he's only hitting 243. A couple other teams in the AL West playing some good baseball. The Rangers, they won four in a row. They're up to 24-23. and 23. They're second in the AL West. They just swept the Mariners without one of their best players, Elvis Andrews. Their lineup is looking deeper and stronger. Some nice veteran production in there. You know, Joey Gallo's been very good. 293, 15 home runs, 35 RBIs. And then you get some of those vets. Sinsu Chu, 297 with a 399 on base percentage. Asdrubal Carrera, he's got nine home runs and 26 RBIs. Logan Forsythe's hitting 308 with a 410 on base percentage. Hunter Pence, 312, 10 home runs, 31 RBIs. Danny Santana, 314 with six stolen bases. That's. It's nice for the Rangers offensively. And you look at these names, and they're players who have produced before in the majors, but you thought they were maybe on the downside of their career, but they're still giving you something here. And the A's won six in a row, but they're a 500 type team. Whenever the A's go on big win streaks, I always scratch my head because they just look like a 500 type team. When you look at their team statistics, they have nobody hitting over 263. They are. 20th in the MLB in batting average, but most of their major contributors are hitting between like 248 with Chris Davis and 260. And their league average and basically everything, you look at it, they're all right in the middle, offensively and defensively. So I always always just expect them to be around a 500 team. The Angels and the Mariners, they both lost three in a row, and they're now 10.5 and 11.5 games behind Houston. A couple teams that are in trouble. The Mariners started 13-2. and two. They lost six games in a row after that. They're now 23 and 29. So since that 13 and 2 start, they are 10 and 27. And then you have the Angels. The Angels' top three starters right now Cahill, 6.43 ERA, 1.33 whip. Matt Harvey, 6.35 ERA, 1.43 whip. Tyler Skaggs, 5 ERA, 1.4 or 1.4 whip. When those three have started 27 half of your games, you are not going to be in good shape. So the Angels not playing as well as the other Los Angeles baseball team. Tom Stoner says the Yankees. Luke Voigt has been a tremendous pickup for the Yanks since last year. Matthew Holland, Cincinnati Reds will be coming on strong enough. I agree. Yeah. Astros kicking butt even without El Tuve. That was Charles Simon. Christopher Long says, Cubs, go, Cubs, go. Playing good. Rodney Lawson, the Mariners should be at the top of the who's not. They started 13-2, and two, now 23-28. and 28. And Rodney Lawson mentions Gallo is hot. Yeah, the thing about Joey Gallo is he's always hit for power, but not for average. So we're seeing him, how long can he sustain the batting average part of his production this year? Ant Velarde said, the Mets, we have no strengths. Chris Petit Gino, I know Harper was the big signing, but the play we are getting from Segura and Real Mudo cannot go unnoticed. Phils are nine games over 500. Kapler is a whole different coach this year. Uh, he would not complain. Um, he let's see, looks at the positives and he will let the team know he's not happy with happening in the game. I expect the Phils to go wire to wire with the division. Chris, yeah, they're they're playing some good ball. Neil Marcos, Tony Bellinger MVP. Ryu lights out. Hill getting his groove back. Got to get a little deeper in the bullpen, but the Dodgers are the team to beat in the NL. 
Yeah, I think so. I think they're still the team to beat. You have to beat them. Joe Christofek. I listened to someone on a certain podcast say to take the under on the Cubs. He's calling me out when we were on the podcast with Scott Shapiro <laughs> talking about MLB. We went through all the uh, the over-unders with Scott Shapiro and we were talking about the Cubs and you know I wasn't a huge fan of the Cubs and their chance this year. Picked the Cubs under. Unfortunately, that's one that I'm going to be getting crap from people all year long. If the Cubs make the playoffs, pour it on. I don't think they will. I don't think they will be in the playoffs. Wanted to move it on. Let's get to some of your uh, your posts about the MLB. Rick Marsenak can't wait to see Guerrero Jr. and Camden Yards on. June 11th, I think he will add it to his home run totals. Ballpark favors his side of the plate. Johnny Clucci, Phils versus the Rays, 2008 repeat. Tim Sullivan, as a Red Sox fan, I have a little complaint about, which having grown up under the curse, I never thought I'd ever get to say those words. Mark Vaca, Red Sox Nation. Stan Ware, Dodgers. So the only thing I'm worried this season is health. They have to take it to uh, everything else it takes to win this season. Bullpen with the addition of Stripling and Urias combined with the best starting five in MLB, led by a healthy Ryu. Now Seager getting his stroke back. Bellinger having his best season ever. John Canuck. Phil's win the division by default. NL for the Dodgers to win or lose. The AL is the Astros to win or lose. Not too exciting in my book. My team is toast. The Mets, they need new owners. Sandra Hart Peebles says, uh, been an Orioles fan since living in Phoenix, where we have Diamondbacks tickets. Constantly saying, Goldie who? Or... AJ Pollock, who? Christian Walker and Adam Jones have stepped up and they're making the D-backs lo- uh, losses seem insignificant. This Oriole fan is happy to see them every day. Scott Powell, my team, the Reds, are going to be dangerous once the offense starts hitting. Their pitching has been phenomenal and their offense has a lot of potential. Votto, Puig, and Winker all hitting around the 200 mark. Team is still hovering around 500. I think you'd agree. Yeah, agree. Very good. I'm expecting a lot more from the Reds. They're a team that I would... I would absolutely put some money on. 100% think that we're going to get big, big turnarounds from the Reds. And I would not be shocked if they're not battling for the division. I couldn't remember for the, for a second. That's what it was bothering me when I went silent for a second. I couldn't remember the name of, of Scott's podcast off the top of my head. I just didn't want to say it wrong. So yeah, who do you like? Who do you like? It was it was bothering me. Scott, the Who Do You Like podcast was the one that uh, I was on with Scott before when we talked uh, all the uh, the MLB over-unders. I'm subscribed to Scott's podcast. It comes through each week. And um, if you haven't listened, it does just basically gambling. Whatever's coming up for the weekend gambling. It'll talk about the races, golf tournaments, college basketball. So good, uh, good podcast to go subscribe to. Uh, who do you like podcast? Let's get to some of those Twitter thoughts on baseball and the MLB. Always want to hear your comments, questions, selections. You let me know because it makes it easier. Sometimes I'm going to be bringing in guests starting maybe even this week in a, in a few days. Going to kind of lock a few down. But it's nice to have the Q&As here because it, it brings up some other topics that I'll be able to hit on. The Charlie, the Tuna, says the Yankees. What's not to like? The strength is obviously the depth, weaknesses, Chad Green, Sanchez, Chad Green, Sanchez, Torres, Ursula, who knew have been mashing. Domingo Herman leads the league in wins and a 2-5 ERA. Seem to be a JIT World Series contender. Azor, 
a high. Red Sox had a historic year for their franchise, expecting a fall-off that is still playoff-worthy. Anything can happen. Pitching needs to get it together long-term. Pay more attention in June. Toastman from Philly. So the feels the feels feel good. Strengths, offense, playoff wins, World Series, uh, playoff win, yes, World Series, no. Lack of experience, playoff pitchers will be the downfall. Segura, rookie Irvin, underrated and look good. And uh, right socially, talking about the Cubs. And then Booker Washington, talking about the Rangers being hot. They're very hot right now. And I like that offense that the Rangers have recently put together. Closing time. Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the final episode of Game of Thrones, turn off now because we're going to start talking about Thrones. Okay, let's go through the episode and then kind of some overarching thoughts on on Game of Thrones. Starts out with Tyrion walking through the ruins of the city. He is with Jon and with Davos. We see people still burning alive, ashes everywhere, ruins all over. Tyrion goes alone looking through the ruins of his former home. He's searching for Cersei and for Jaime. Grey Worm lets Jon know that He's been commanded by Danny to kill all who follow Cersei Lannister. There's tension again between Jon and Grey Worm as he tries to stop them from killing soldiers in the streets. Doesn't work. Grey Worm just wants to kill. He's back to that soldier he met, that unsullied, without emotion. Tyrion finds Jaime and Cersei together. They're dead. They're buried under the rubble. They're trapped. Uh, They were trying to follow the way that he set out for them. They have a moment together. We see Danny and the Dothraki and the Unsullied. They have taken control of King's Landing. Danny is in all black. Names Grey Worm the commander and master of war. She says that the war is not over. She wants to keep conquering even though she already got what she wants. She got what she wanted. She is on the Iron Throne now. She tells Tyrion she knows that he freed Jaime and he committed treason. Tyrion then takes off his hand and he uh, his hand of the queen pin and he throws it. He is disgusted. After she burned all of the innocent people. Danny then has him taken prisoner. She locks eyes with John as they take him away. We see the interaction between John and Arya. Arya tries to convince John that he will always be a threat to Danny. John then goes to see Tyrion, who's in prison. Tyrion mentions Varys and how Varys was right and that Tyrion betrayed his friend and had him killed, and Varys was right. He talks about the afterlife with John and he mentions. All of the things that he's done wrong. Tyrion knows Danny will not stop. Jon tries to stick up for her, but Tyrion, he just cannot get over how she burned the city. And says, everywhere she goes, evil men die and we cheer for her. And she gains more power and is more sure that she is right. He believed in her with all of his heart, but he says love is more powerful than reason. And then Jon Requotes the former maester, love is the death of duty. And Tyrion says sometimes duty is the death of love. He tells John to kill Danny. So now we have Arya telling John to kill Danny. We know that Sansa is what she wanted. And Tyrion basically guilting him into doing it. He pleads with John to do what is right and kill Danny because he knows that Danny will come after John because he is the rightful heir. John then goes to see Daenerys. She is being guarded by Drogon, lets Jon through. Daenerys finally fulfills her destiny. She touches the Iron Throne. It's a powerful moment 
And you almost forget about all the bad she's just done because of that moment. Right? It's, it is very powerful. You see, and you kind of forget. But unfortunately, a big thing happens just after this. John speaks with Danny. He asks her to stop and to let Tyrion go and to call off the army. She won't. She says it will be a good world. He asks, how do you know? She says, because I know what is good and so do you. John is unsure. Danny wants to be with John. He offers to she offers to have him rule together with her. And John says, You are my queen now and always. They kiss, and John kills her. John stabs Daenerys and kills her. He says, You are my queen now and always. Drogon comes in, he sees his mother dead with the sword in her. And he looks like he's going to burn John. Instead of burning John, he goes crazy and he melts the Iron Throne. He picks up Danny and he flies away with his mother. Grey Worm goes and gets Tyrion, and Tyrion is brought before a council of representatives of the great houses. We see Sam, Sansa, Arya, Edmir, uh, Bran, Brienne, Davos, Yara, the uh, Robin from the Vale. Uh, Grey Worm and Yara want John dead. Davos tries to convince them no more killing and to give Grey Worm and the Insullied land. Grey Worm doesn't want the land. They just want to kill John. Tyrion then is talking. He's in his handcuffs and it's so weird that Tyrion's talking. He starts talking about how they need to pick a king. Edmund Tully, Edmure Tully starts to plead his case and Sansa, this is when Sansa just starts she just shoots him down. Uncle, sit down, she says. Sam stands up. He says the decision about what's best for everyone should be left to everyone. He wants democracy. And they just laugh at him. They laugh right in his face. He, they they joke about giving dogs and horses a vote. What should, is that what they should do next? They then ask Tyrion what they think. Tyr- who, who do you think should be king? And Tyrion says it should be Bran the Broken. Sansa then, boom, again, Bran has no interest in ruling and he can't farther children. Boom. Just, just dropping bombs, right? Tyrion then says, from now on, the rulers will not be born. They will be chosen. And then as everyone's agreeing, Sansa again comes in and she demands that the North is their own kingdom, an independent kingdom. They agree. Bran is now the knight, now the new king. He's now the king. He names Tyrion as his hand of the king. They send John to the Night's Watch because John just killed Daenerys. So it's isn't this amazing? Tyrion and Arya and Sansa and Ver—they're all trying to get John to kill Daenerys, and he does. Yet Tyrion and Arya and Sansa are all okay, but John's got to go to the Night's Watch and suffer for what he did. I, I don't know about that. John asks. Tyrion, when he talks to him in, uh, in, in the cell, he says, was it right what I did? It doesn't feel right. And Tyrion says, ask me again in ten years. Jon goes off to the Night's Watch, Grey Worm, and the Unsullied. They sail for the Isle of Noth. That was the place that he, where Masande was from, that he and Masande were going to go and live their life together after the, the war. So he will maybe be going up to either protect those people or Go to the the place that he always said he would with Masande. 
John, we see the bi- the goodbye between John and Sansa and Arya and Bronn. And again, it's like, John's going off to the Night's Watch here. As Sansa's just getting ready to sit on her throne all happy. Arya's going west of Westeros. She's on a ship. She wants to see where all the maps stop. She is exploring. We see Brienne. She adds Jamie's story to the history books. And she gives him an honorable ending. Even after what he did to her. Left her. Traitor, ghosted her, and she still has the respect to write a good story for him. We see a meeting of the King's Council with Sir Braun, Tyrion, Davos, Sam, Brienne, and King Bran. Sam presents the recent history book. Now it's called a, a Song of Ice and Fire. And they joke about how there's no mention of Tyrion in the whole book. They start planning the rebuild, restructuring everything. One of the questions is ships or brothels? One of the age-old questions, right? Ships or brothels? What do we do with the money? Ships or brothels? John arrives at Castle Black at the Wall. He sees Tormund and the Wildlings, the Free Folk. He reunites with Ghost, and then he's off with the Wildlings. We see John just walking with uh, with them. Arya's off exploring. Sansa is the Queen of the North. Now they're independent, and King Bran the Broken is looking for Drogon. He went to go find Drogon. Let's get to some of your Game of Thrones thoughts. John Stetton, the big six king, big Game of Thrones fan, says it stunk. It ruined the whole show. Every character was out of character, ridiculous scenarios, unanswered questions, totally epic fail. See, I'm I'm not nearly as as negative as that or a lot of people. I I understand some of the negativity. I think that it was very rushed. I think there were I would have loved to, to see everything play out in another year or two. But the the person that I blame, I blame George R. R. Martin. He didn't finish the books. He didn't... He, it's taken him so long to finish the books. If the books were finished, there would be an ending to use and they wouldn't have had to create their own ending and create the endings of these characters that really weren't their own characters, the writers. you know. And I, I understand why they had to wrap it up, right? You can't do shows for so long. You actors have other commitments. Writers, producers have other commitments. I think I heard some of the writers are going to be working on Star Wars coming up soon. But John, more people agree with what you're saying. There were some un, a ton of unanswered questions, and we didn't get many of those early in the the seasons. But when I remember Game of Thrones, and when I remember most of the the good shows that I like, I generally don't think about the ending, right? You go back and you think about the episodes that you loved. You think about the big moments. Those are the things that you think about. I'm not going to be thinking about the end that it didn't... I'll think about, you know, first couple seasons and Danny walking into the fire and uh, the Red Wedding and Joffrey and I and Theon and Reek and some of the big battles and, you know, John and Egret. Those are the things that I'm... I'm going to remember. So maybe we're kind of in the same, John, is that we're just going to kind of pretend this last couple seasons didn't happen. But I just don't, I don't think it was that bad. Diane Parker. I liked it. Brian Ponce. Game of Thrones is alive and well here in Lakerland. That is only the year and the location has changed and magic didn't need a dragon to swoop down and help him burn down the franchise. Stephen A's take a uh, first take morning show purple rain on, on Robbie Robin throw shady on Vogel's news conference later in the day. All while King LBJ dribbled on the practice floor. Well, Le- LeBron being there was a good thing. I, I, LeBron doesn't have to talk 
He doesn't have to say anything. I think just his presence there enough is alone. He says, can't wait for the next episode. Susan McArdle. Susan said it was fine. I thought Brian was a boring choice. The writing had so many twists. I thought they were going to leave us with something more, but sometimes these things are hard to wrap up. Sending John to Castle Black was boring. I wish Arya and Gendry had hooked up for love adventure. I agree. I feel like Gendry just kind of got the short end of the stick. There were a lot of characters that we just feel like we didn't get like great endings or send-offs with. And that's what happens when you have to rush things to, to finish off. Timothy Sullivan said about 20 minutes into the finale, I asked, how can they successfully wrap this up in an hour? They didn't. Adam Kateri, Adam Kateri Mushian. Cersei said in season one, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win and die. You win or you die. Arya is the queen of the new world. Sansa is the queen of the new no- of the north. Jon is the king of the free folk. Bran is the king of the six kingdoms. It was kind of nice to see the Starks winning. I truly felt it was super super rushed, but they attempted to wrap it up. Realistically, they had such a hard job to write an ending. I believe there are at least a few successor shows in the works. Yeah, that's what it seems like, right? At least a prequel coming out. We could see a show with Arya exploring. We could see a show with who who rules next. There's what's what's up with Grey Worm? They're just gonna go. They're they're not gonna go try to find John. They're just gonna be. They're gonna go quietly away. Yara, we don't know what what's up there. Yeah, there are a lot of maybe little spinoffs or different uh different things that could come from this. I was expecting. Um, Brad Almer said they needed two episodes to wrap it up. Perhaps there would have been more plot for to Danny being killed rather than you know a few seconds of dialogue and you're dead. Yeah, this. It just felt like there was so much more that we needed to to hear. And we, we just didn't get it. Let's see. Azor. If Bronn is all seeing, all knowing, he really used and threw Jon Snow under the bus, right? Right? Lynn agrees. Dutch was very disappointed in the last few episodes and would not have felt rushed. I might have been okay with it, but it felt very rushed. And then Lynn said underwhelmed, but that's always hard to end a series. And let's face it, first several seasons set the bar kind of high. Season and finale would have needed to have been monument- monumentally epic to satisfy. It's the curse of being good. Yeah, the negativity surrounding Game of Thrones. It is it is pretty overwhelming that it's become so negative. So long episode here. Touched on a lot of different topics. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. And continue to send your feedback in, questions, comments. We'll start bringing some guests on. I keep saying that over and over again, but I'm just going to plan it out right. And then once we do, it'll probably be a guest on every show. And it'll be something like uh, I'll do, you know, a segment or two at the beginning, and then I'll do the guest interview. Um, we'll continue to, uh, to, to have that format where we can have a bunch of different topics and we'll read through your tweets and. Please, if you can, get on over to iTunes. Leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Those help me out like crazy. Joey, take it away.